Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Most young couples getting ready for marriage look forward to intimacy. They think it's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And in many ways it is, but what they're not often ready for are some of the challenges that might come up in the marital relationship, whether it's early on in the marriage or after a couple of babies or later in life, this part of the marriage relationship can become a challenge. And my wife and I have talked about this in some series we did on this podcast back in the fall. And we did a number of questions that you all brought to us uh, back last October and November. And there were so many questions uh, that we mentioned that we were going to do a, do a, do a follow-up Q&A episode all on the topic of marital intimacy because we wanted to get to all your questions and we promised that we would do that in early 2023. So here we are. So welcome to the special edition of All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and I have my lovely wife with us here to join us for today. Hello, everybody. So again, we, we first of all just want to really thank you so much. So many of you sent in very honest, heartfelt questions about you know, many of the struggles that can happen in this part of the marriage relationship. And so we're, we're so grateful for you sharing your hearts and being vulnerable and wanting to get a little guidance from this. And we want to make sure you know we're not marriage experts. We're not, we're not sex therapists. We're not professionals in that sense. Theologians trying to live a good married life, and we'll offer some insights from the Catholic theological and spiritual tradition, but we hope these will be helpful for you. So we're going to just jump and dive right in here and address some of these questions here. So uh, one person wrote in uh, saying, it feels as if we live separate lives under the same roof. We love each other very much, but we both know things need to change and we need to work on it. And so the, the question is this, they say that they're very busy uh, with all the commitments of having four children and a full-time job, and it's just a lot in the home. It says, uh, and the question says, we have heard countless times about scheduling date nights or scheduling time together, which we could be better at. Do you have any other advice or recommendations on how you and your wife find time together, specifically to work on the feeling as if we lead separate lives under the same roof? Yeah, that's an interesting one because, um, first of all, I think it's relatable. You know, four kids busy. That's just very full. There's so much going on. When we were in that stage, we had to be very um, deliberate, very intentional. And we didn't do anything really excessive or fancy. We just blocked off two evenings each week um, that we knew we would spend together after the kids go went to bed. So for instance, Sunday night, the kids go down and we would have what we would call a business meeting to talk through logistic stuff. And doing that Sunday then freed us up for Tuesday after the kids went down to just do something fun together. Sometimes we would get a sitter and go out, but um, just playing a board game or being together or watching a movie together or just sitting around and talking and having a dessert from a restaurant, something like that, that we both knew, okay, kids go down. We're not going to tidy up the kitchen and we're not going to, like we were both proactively thinking what needs to be done so that I can enjoy that time and reconnect with my spouse and and make that time available for him or her. That could go a long way. I think it can be really hard to like 
schedule the big date night. You got to plan, make the reservation, get a babysitter, get dressed up. And sometimes, especially I think in those younger years, it was just, <laughs> we're, we're just drowning. We're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And so doing simple date night, even it doesn't mean we didn't do those special date nights every once in a while, but every week having some rhythm of just, hey, this is the night where we just chill. And maybe I would go out and pick up dinner and bring it in or just bring in a dessert from a restaurant or, you know, or we'd watch a movie or something. But there was just something in the home that it made it easy for us. This this wasn't the time we're doing projects and other work and other things. This was time just to enrich the relationship. So I would try to, you know, keep it easy. Uh, it's better to get time together, even if it's simple time and to get that time regularly than it is to have the ideal date night out on the town. All right. So here's another question. And this one, I, I want to say we've heard many questions along these lines. We may not answer everybody's, but th- there's a lot in this genre about after having a baby, the wife in particular, not feeling that excited about sexual relations in those months afterwards. So one person says, I'm currently five months postpartum and I've been having a difficult time wanting to connect with my husband intimately, mainly out of fear of becoming pregnant very soon. It's definitely not that we don't want more children. God willing, we we do want more. But I still feel like I'm recovering from the second childbirth. Is it bad to feel like this? I've never really withheld myself from my husband until recently, but it feels a bit terrible. I mean, the health reasons that you're mentioning there are are ones that you like you want to take time to to really go after, you know, because a woman's body does go through so much in pregnancy and labor and it can really affect it long term. So um, I would say where you're at is it's understandable to be in that position. I would, first of all, make plans and arrangements to go after whatever the problem is. You know, it's a health reason. So that could be considered a a reason to abstain. And also just to realize like, this isn't going to be forever. You know, there are ways that you can show love and tenderness to your husband outside of the marital act and he for you that are still very valid and helpful and, and still bring you together connected. So look for those, but also know that that this isn't going to last forever. You're not a bad person for feeling this way, that sometimes we just need a minute or so to recover, to breathe, and then, you know, catch our breath and then get get back in the game. Yeah. Another thing along those lines, I think um, I can say from the man's perspective, there's these seasons that that come and it, it may be a health issue. It may be after a baby. It could be just other things going on in life where maybe the other person is not as, as, as interested or as concerns. And I will say that I think, you know, when you have said to me things and just, you know, I love you, you know, you give me a hug, you know, it's like, I wish we could like that. That goes a long way to making me feel like it's like, I'm not, I'm not the one being rejected here. It's not me. It's not personal. There's a situation and this is what's best, not just for my wife, but for our marriage, for our family life right now. And yes, is this going to be hard? Yes. Uh, am I disappointed? Yes. But but I think it, to do this in a loving way and be able to talk about it, I find that that reduces the friction, the tension in this. And, and so uh, I just throw that out there as well. Right. Because then you're united in the struggle as opposed to the tension pulling you apart and feeling like, well, I want to, but she can't. Or I know he wants to, but I'm not available to, you know, just instead of being like, man, this is a bummer. Like, I love you. I wish we could. Yeah, me too. And then you. <laughs> I don't know, just kind of go through it together. 
yeah, better to do it together than than one person just feeling, well, I, I don't want to, so I'm going to just go to bed early and hope he doesn't ask. Uh, or on the other end, the man may be resenting and starting to feel like, how come we can't do this? So it's good to talk about it, put it in the open and do it in a loving way. So another question came in here. Another young mom here. We've been married for nearly three years, but unfortunately, I'm having greater and greater difficulty ever wanting to have sex with my husband to the degree of feeling even wounded in it. I've never experienced physical pleasure through sex, but instead have been motivated by emotional intimacy and knowing he is receiving pleasure. After having two babies to care for, we are busier and the emotional connection is not as strong. The sexual act feels as though it belongs on my ever-growing chore list rather than something that brings us close together. Often I get up to do dishes and finish household chores and it pushes my bedtime much later Due to this and many other reasons, I feel almost more isolated by marital intimacy than connected by it. Wow. Thank you. That's really hard. Um, First of all, this is common. Like it's not, you're, this is not mean that you're, this is, this is normal. um, I think for a lot of people and, and I think it's a lot of, it's, it's something that people don't really talk about either. So it feels isolating because you've never heard anyone say anything about it. One thing that I would recommend, and it's difficult because I'm not super familiar with resources, but if you could find a trustworthy book or CD or download or something on the topic and listen to it with your spouse, sometimes having something from outside the two of you that you can look at together can can make it less like like you're coming at him and saying, oh, why did you do that? What's going on? You know, or or I just don't want to. And then he feels rejected or it feels like it's personal. But instead, like, let's listen to this presentation. And then you do. And they're like, what do you think about that? Well, actually, I could see what they're saying because X, Y, Z, you know, it just kind of opens the door to that to that topic, that conversation in a way that is less threatening, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and we hear this from many young couples. We've heard it from many priests, you know, who are mentoring couples uh, all around the country that many moms, not every mom, but many moms after a couple of babies, they become less and less interested in marital intimacy. So that just, again, that idea that this is a common thing, it is out there. You're not alone. But the other thing I would say is there's two, two points I would make. You mentioned the that there is less of an emotional connection. And I, I wonder if that's something worth exploring. Is there something... In your relationship, do you need more time together? Do you need more of his attention? Do you need more, you know, whether like we talked about date night recently, uh, does, is there something going on where you're not trusting him in a certain area where he he's not listening? And, and uh, that idea of there not being the emotional intimacy could be connected to also why there is less of an attraction to the physical intimacy. So I would explore that. But then to the point Beth made, uh, the idea of listening to a talk or reading something together, uh, I know for many men uh, that I've mentored over the years, this this is an eye-opening moment for them when they're realizing that men and women are wired differently uh, when it comes to marital intimacy. You know, we, way back in, you can listen to the episodes we did back in October when we, we talked about the difference between the the microwave and the crock pot. <laughs> you know, that the men are like microwaves, they are, are ready to go, you know, in the marital act, whereas women take time. 
time. Oftentimes. <laughs> Oftentimes. That's a generalization. Yeah. And and women take longer, and John Paul II writes about this, that the man needs to take extra time longer than he ever thinks about of preparing her heart throughout the day, than preparing uh, herself physically as, as leading up to the act, a lot more time than he could ever imagine. Again, we talked about this back in the episode. You could look back in October on this. You can also check out the book that we wrote, The, uh, the Good, The Messy, and The Beautiful, the joys and struggles of real married life. We have, the very last section though is all on all of these questions about marital intimacy. And maybe if he read something like that, I will say I do know many men that I've worked with over the years that they, when they have discover this, this is a lights on experience for them. Then they approach the marital act in a in a much healthier way, the way God intended. And then their wives do begin to experience more pleasure through through the act. And one other quick thing, it might be wise or helpful if you're able to just mix it up a little bit in your marriage. You know, maybe take up a new hobby together. Make sure you have a sitter for this night and you're going to go take a class, cooking class, ballroom dancing class, you know, rock climbing, something that you guys can do that's out of the norm, that energizes the both of you, where you can just have fun together. You know, it do, it's not about the kids. It's not about, you know, the chores or the house projects, but just something that, that you guys can do together to, and just enjoy being together. Or maybe even having grandma and grandpa come for a week and you go on a vacation. Well, I find when I have little people, I need at least two days away more than two days, because it takes me two days to get used to not having people with me, like just waking up and taking care of myself only. Like that's crazy. <laughs> so two days at least, four, five, seven is more ideal to really just have that time to relax and reconnect and just have true leisure. Yeah, that that could be helpful too. I know, again, hard with two young children, but I wish we had done more of that when our kids were younger. I don't think we ever went on a trip without anybody until like 10 years ago, eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if that's possible, that could be really be a game changer. Yeah. If you have relatives, someone that could watch the kids, even just a weekend, it would be amazing to, to be able right. to. That's one thing I, I do think we, I wish we did. Because once we did it, we right. realized we like, how enriching Whoa. it was. <laughs> it was like so. eye-opening. Here's a, uh, a question that's come up here. You know, in in the episode we did back in October, we talked about how John Paul II teaches that the ideal in marriage is for man and woman to reach climax uh, together at the same time, uh, roughly the same time. And that's and John Paul II explains that's an ideal. It's not always going to happen that way, and it's okay if it doesn't. We shouldn't feel shame if it doesn't happen that way. But but we want to aim for that, and that's mostly to signal to the men to be virtuous, to be slower, to be more patient, to be more gentle and not just rushing in, you know, their microwave, we're ready to go, ding, you know, but to really, you know, prepare their wife, enter into it and respect her the way that she emotionally and physically enters into the marital act. So somebody asked the question saying, okay, I love that analogy of the microwave and the crock pot. I love the idea that you're supposed to reach climax together ideally, but is it okay for me as the wife to say, a quickie is okay because I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm exhausted a lot these days. I'm raising five kids under the age of 10. Uh, but he, of course, has needs that should be satisfied. <laughs> and, it, you know, and, uh, and so she wants to enter in, but like sometimes is it, in other words, does it, do we always have to reach the ideal? And the answer I think is, doesn't always have to be that way. JP2 himself says so. And there's going to be times when the quickie, as she says, is okay. There's nothing morally illicit about a quickie, you know? I think 
I think, though, you know, just making sure that there is time periodically to to work towards something greater. I mean, the ideal dinner in our house is something laid out and beautiful and not burnt that everybody <laughs> likes. Does that ideal happen regularly? No. However, I'd like to think that our Saturday night Lord's Day meal might be a little bit nicer, or at least that's a hope and oh, a goal. You, you do many nice, amazing Italian dinners, even during the week for us, that the fact that my kids and, well, I should just say I can have carbonara and a nice glass of wine and a, a great a great amatriciana pasta on a weeknight. That I think that's pretty amazing. So there is, I think there's a regularity, not just in our meal rhythm, but I think we want to aim in marriage to have some kind of regularity where you are aiming for the ideal. It's not a whole series of quickies. I wouldn't say that would be ideal. That'd be like getting takeout every night. Takeout every night, yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not healthy for your body, not healthy for your marriage. But helpful on the occasional stressful <laughs> evening. There we go. All right. Now, we've had a lot of questions from these younger couples here. Uh, that, that was actually more middle, middle-aged. Here's someone uh, growing older in their marriage here. They've been married over 22 years. And the person says, I, I, you guys might be too young to be worrying about this, but I am fully in menopause and my sex drive is basically non-existent. My husband, not so much. In fact, after 22 years of marriage, I feel like his sex drive is getting even stronger. It's a struggle for me to get into physical intimacy, even when the conditions are just right. In theory, my husband understands, but in practice, it's just me always giving in to keep peace because I know it's important to him, but resentment is building. Any suggestions you have to approach this problem would be appreciated. <laughs> oh, man, that, yeah, that's hard. I mean, again, I'm not a medical professional. I'm just a mom who gets into, like, notices things and, and finds out answers when I need them or others I care about need them. But when I first read this, I'm wondering, have your hormones checked? You know, oftentimes, especially as we're perimenopause, menopausal, our hormones get all out of whack, or sometimes there are certain ones that are just not there at all. For instance, testosterone is one that has a lot to do with libido. Um, so that could be off. There's also supplements that can be taken. Again, a good naturopath will be able to point you in that direction. Um, there's also another gal. She has some great books. Her name is um, Aviva Rom. A-V-I-V-A-R-O-M-M. She has some great things on thyroid and like female cycles and just really fascinating information. Like keep your Catholic filter on because, you know, she comes from a different worldview. But I think in terms of health and and whole, holistic medicine for women, she has a lot of good resources. So that's one part of it. The second part is when you're feeling resentment, um, that's so hard. First of all, I just really want to empathize with the fact that you can see you're trending in that direction, but you're aware of it and you don't desire to go down that road. Like, girl, that's half the problem right there. Like that you you're realizing it. You're you're already halfway there. I would do like you do with, you know, other things that you're like kind of there's a resistance to, but you want to give the best of yourself to just look at it like this is how I'm going to choose to love this person. You know, this is how I'm going to choose to love my husband. And I'm going to give myself in this way, not because I get anything out of it, but because I am delighted when I see him happy. And so when it's in my power to do so, you know, I want my default to be yes. And and maybe there needs to be a conversation of like just showing more like this is really hard for me, but I love you and I, I want to enter into this as much as I'm able to. 
so that he can see it and know that it's more than just meets the eye, so to speak. But um, there are times where there are things I just don't want to do. And so I just look at it instead of like dreading it and dragging my feet and kind of grumbling. I'll just be like, okay, here is a gift of my time, of my presence, of my energy. And I'm not expecting to be gratified or receive anything. It's just pure gift. And I'm happy to give it, period. I think it's a great way to spiritualize all of these things. That's one of the things we emphasize in the book is seeing all of the challenges and difficulties that come up in marriage and family life. Uh, the tensions, the difficulties, the disappointments, the hurts, uh, or in this case, the challenges in, in the marital act even, uh, that we have to always look at these in a spiritual lens. So thank you. And I think that's a great You're welcome. Way, <laughs> way to enter in and think about it as an opportunity to love like Jesus loves. And, and we pray that, and, and to pray that it it becomes more than just, oh, I'm going to make this sacrifice. Uh, and, and we pray in developing the relationship more. And hopefully it becomes something greater. But even in those moments when it's not, it is still a gift because love is not in the, did I have this powerful rush of emotion and this feeling of passion in the moment? Love is in the will and it's an act of the will. Uh, you know, it, it just like, you know, when a kid has, you know, a, a poopy diaper or a, a, a toddler is having a, a meltdown uh, or a teenager is talking back to you, none of those moments feel like, make you feel like you're coming alive and you just feel so excited, but you have to choose to love and to serve in those moments. Uh, and so love isn't about the feelings, it's an act of the will. All right. Um, now there, we'll do two more questions here, I think. One is... Um, this is again from a, a, a more veteran couple here. My question is about my husband who has issues with performance. Uh, if we cannot have intercourse, how can we renew our marital bond and still be respectful to God? I, I think here again, we would say, you know, on these matters, seeking professional help. Again, we're not we're not going to be the sex therapist experts here. Be careful, though, with sex therapists. You know, they're they're oftentimes not very educated in the church's teachings. So again, keep your Catholic filter on. Really know and understand the church's teachings about it, but. On the flip side of that, they can be very helpful with certain issues of being able to get in that zone again. Mm -hmm. And then I, I would say, you know, how do we, if we can't have intercourse, how do we renew our marital bond and still be respectful to God? That, that last phrase, still be respectful of God. Thank you for saying that. That's very important because we have to respect God's law, which is not just about me being obedient to this random rule. It's not, that's not what this is about. This is actually God's law is shedding light on what will make us happy, what will bring a thriving marriage, what leads to authentic love. And so we want to respect God's law if we want to respect ourselves and our marriage and really have a healthy marital life together. And so I think when, when people run into these challenges, they will be tempted to do illicit acts. Uh, things like oral sex and stimulation in order to achieve orgasm outside of the marital act itself. Uh, and we never want to do that. And, I, and I, so I'm thankful that you mentioned that uh, because you, I know you don't want to, to do anything apart from God's plan for love for your life. Now, one last thing on this point is that I, I think you know, we were talking before that uh, we live in an age that is such an overemphasis on sex, you know, that that, that uh, an age that says orgasm is the greatest good, right? And and if you're going to live a happy life, you have to have as much sex and the greatest amount of pleasure as possible. That's just the world we're living in today. And so many, sadly, our young people are growing up in this world. But we have to see that that's, there's more to love, to friendship, to marriage 
than the pleasure that comes from the marital act, as wonderful and as great as it is. And, and I'm reminded of something the, the ancient orator Cicero once wrote about. He wrote about how many people lament old age as you're getting older. You can't, there's all these things you can't do. And one of the things he says is you can't enjoy pleasure as much. And, and he's thinking particularly of sexual pleasure. And he says, like, but that actually isn't like, in our world, that's like the greatest crisis. That's why we would hate old age because you can't enjoy as much sexual pleasure, they would say. That's what our modern secular age would believe. But Cicero, who's not even a Christian, he's just a, a great Roman philosopher, a deep thinker. He sees that there's more to life than just sexual pleasure. There are many greater delights like love, friendship, conversation, the mind pursuing truth, uh, and doing this together in friendship with others. And so that while even a, a couple that may not be able to engage in the marital act later in life, uh, it, it is a, there's still a deeper, richer friendship that they can actually enjoy that's even greater than the delight of sexual pleasure. Now, I want to be clear. I don't know if this person is 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 older person asking the question. This might be a challenge, and they're younger and they're disappointed that they haven't been able to engage in this as much, uh, and and so that that's a separate issue. But I, I thought I'd bring up the Cicero piece for because uh, it is something I've heard from older couples that it becomes a challenge and there's there's sat, sorrow. But Cicero and the Catholic tradition would remind us there are greater joys and delights to look forward to uh, that are even greater than the sexual act. So. Last question here. Um, what advice do you have about responsible parenthood, the decide, decision to have another child? We've been praying about this and would love to hear your experience about how you discerned family size. Any advice and tips are welcome. First of all, when John Paul II uses this language of responsible parenthood, if you read the context, I think it's important to see that he's actually talking more about our responsibility to give a gift to the world and to the church and being open to life. That's the original context of it. Now, he certainly sees the value of using NFP in certain circumstances when it's discerned that this isn't what's best at the present moment, but it's really more when there's serious, more serious concerns, when there's challenges financially, emotionally, psychologically, and every person's threshold for what is serious is going to be different. So we can never really, you know, make a judgment about any other couple and where they're at. Only the, the individual couple before God can discern, is this a just reason for us to to not have, uh, not be open to life right now? And so maybe we will abstain from sexual relations in the fertile periods. And, and the question says, we feel overwhelmed at times. Yes. <laughs> This is everyone. If you have multiple kids, especially when they're younger, you're going to feel overwhelmed. I would even say more than at times, like often most of the time, right? Um, but I, being overwhelmed, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that would work into saying I can't have more children because there's always going to be an element of overwhelm. Yes, there's a spectrum. If you're like so overwhelmed, you can't get out of bed. Yes, that that could be a real reason to abstain. But just general overwhelm, there's a great phrase that um, I think I got from Kimberly Hahn, and it's like an ancient proverb, and it's this, that each child brings his own bread. And what does that mean? Like, duh, they're not born with a stick of you know baguette in their hand. But that each child you have, somehow there's a blessing attached that, that whatever crisis or whatever challenge you were expecting 
somehow in that openness and that receptivity to God's design and his blessing, because children are always and everywhere a blessing, that whatever it is, is going to fall into place. I mean, there's so many times with our kids and discerning school, discerning moving, discerning, you know, you know, activities and things. I'm like, wow, I really would love this for my kids. I have no idea how to make that happen. And I'm like, Lord, if you want this, I need you to show me. And then oftentimes something does click into place. I remember when we decided to send our kids to school and not just like the neighborhood school. This was a school almost half an hour away. And every it was clear we were supposed to do this, but I couldn't drive that way. And then all of a sudden, as soon as we said, this looks like we're supposed to do, we heard other families in our neighborhood, like separately of our discernment, had decided to send their kids to that same school. And so, boom, we had an instant carpool mm-hmm. problem solved, you know? But it's that stepping out in faith and knowing that that God desires life, that God desires our good, and that God is wanting to, as much as we're able to allow him into our marriage, into our intimacy, our fertility, that the blessing of a child is an eternal blessing. And yes, there's going to be hardships and challenges. Yes, you don't know what that child will bring. I mean, you could have a special needs child. You could, there's all sorts of things that could happen, you know, but, but that's, that's just the adventure of life, yeah. you know? I think I see we've never really discerned family size. I'm not sure that's something we're supposed to discern. It's more, I think, you're discerning in the moment, you know? And, and I also say, I think that the for our marriage, it's always been the default's been we want to have children and be open to life and letting God bless that if, if he chooses to. There have been circumstances where we realize, well, maybe right now, due to us, you know, this serious situation here, maybe we need to use NFP and all, uh, and and pull back. But in general, the disposition has been wanting a loving desire to receive the blessing of life in our family, knowing that that's challenging and it's more exhausting and financially expensive and all these things. But man, I you know, I think about the wedding that we just had, and I, I share this with so listeners. Uh, you know, my as my daughter got married at the end of December, just seeing the love of all the siblings. It, it was, each child brings a great gift of love. It brings exhaustion. It brings tiredness. It brings stress. Uh, yes, all those things. But love, the love that we experience watching the love of the siblings for each other, for Madeline and Caden, for for us. And it was just an incredible, like, it was really like a foretaste of heaven. And so I think we want to have the disposition to receive that gift and realizing that every person be different and they may have a discernment. Like, like right now, I need a little pause and, the, and, and for whatever reason that is. But I think we want our hearts to, to be able to receive, to long to receive that blessing again. And I just want to add another thing too, that this is something I've been pondering lately. When I look at each of my kids, because they're all so different and so unique and just really wonderful. And I just, each one of them is their own unique expression of of Ted and I combined, of our union, you know? And so some of them will have, you know, his eyes, but my personality or, or all sorts of things, you know, just so many different expressions of love. And, and when I look at... Like it's not there. We need to get beyond a scarcity mentality of looking at, oh, it's going to subtract. It's going to take away. I'm not going to have the resources. And instead, realize like God does math differently. You know, for him, it's not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals two to the infinite power, right? Because he's going to keep exponentially 
making love grow in ways that you can't even see now on this side of that next child. And it really is, it's such a beautiful wild ride. And I don't know, I would just encourage you to, like the biggest gift in the whole world isn't a million dollars. It's not winning the lottery or a Lamborghini. It's a newborn baby. It really is. And that's what the church says. Vatican II says the children are yay. the supreme <laughs> gift, gift of marriage. Of marriage, right? It's so yeah. true. And imagine if at your wedding day there was like all these gifts on the table, but there was the biggest gift that says it's this the supreme gift. That's my friend Jason Everett uses that analogy. I love it. You know, you go, whoa, the supreme gift. What is that? And you long to open up that one. That that's the one of the child. Well, so many other things we could get into. That thank you for being on the show again. Welcome. And if you want to learn more about not just this topic, but all about marriage and the spiritual life of marriage, uh, check out our book called The Good, the Messy, and the Beautiful: The Joys and Struggles of Real Married Life with Ascension Press. You can go check out the podcast we did back in the fall on this topic. We did a series on marital intimacy. And um, if you're in Virginia Beach, for those of you in Virginia Beach, uh, Beth and I are going to be presenting to you all on marriage on a virtual retreat. I think we're, we're being broadcasted to a group of couples that are going to be there. It's been fun doing these virtual retreats as well there. And if you're in Dubai at St. Mary's Parish, my good friends in St. Mary's Parish, the biggest Catholic parish in the whole world, Beth and I are going to be presenting uh, next weekend, as, or this upcoming weekend on the 4th as well. All right. Thanks so much for listening, my friends, and God bless. God bless you.